Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Shiva Mozafarian, Programs Promotion and Outreach Manager for the National Psoriasis Foundation. I'm here with dermatologist Dr. Andrew Blaubelt, who is the president of Oregon Medical Research Center, which is a small business based in Portland, Oregon, dedicated to performing high-quality clinical studies in dermatology around upcoming and established treatments, including therapies we'll discuss today during this treatment update. Dr. Blavelt has a long history of performing both basic and clinical research in psoriasis throughout his career. He volunteers his time to assist with the medical and scientific efforts of the National Psoriasis Foundation and serves on the Scientific Advisory Committee, which is responsible for identifying and reaching consensus on the most promising active areas of research in psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and related comorbidities. Welcome, Dr. Blavelt. It's a pleasure having you on Sound Bites today. New discoveries continue to be developed that lead to safer, more targeted, and more effective treatments. One of the biggest advancements in the last 20 years has been the use of biologics. Can you please comment on the changes that have occurred with biologics since the initial TNF inhibitors were introduced? Yeah, I'm happy to, Shiva, and thank you for having me today. So I like to describe TNF blockers for psoriasis as a big advance. They were approved for psoriasis in 2004 and 2006 and 2008. However, they were sort of me too drugs because they came from the rheumatologists. They came from initial studies in rheumatoid arthritis. And so psoriasis was a secondary indication. So not specifically sort of designed for psoriasis. They were designed for arthritis, but then we found they worked well there. But what was happening during the development of the TNF blockers was that we were learning more about a new immunologic pathway that was involved in psoriasis, and we call it the IL-23 T17 or IL-23 TH17 pathway. And so the experiments and the science that was going on during those years clearly showed that psoriasis was dependent on two particular cytokines called IL-23 and IL-17. And what we saw from that research is the development of psoriasis-specific biologics that target these two molecules, that target IL-23 or that target IL-17. And those came a little bit later after TNF blockers. And so the, the big difference for me between the early ones, the ones that a lot of people kind of grew up with the TNF blockers, and that would be Enbrel, Humira, and Remicade. With the later ones, they're really designed for psoriasis. They were based upon science from psoriasis lesions and the knowledge that those molecules were really, really important, like Achilles heels in psoriasis. What happened in the clinic is that when we started to get biologics against IL-23 and against IL-17, what we found is much higher efficacy than what we saw with the TNF blockers. And at the same time, really interesting, we found them to be much safer. So for a lot of drugs, when we have more efficacy 
we see more side effects. If the drug works great, you push the dose, you see more side effects. But for the 2317 blockers that I just mentioned, what we saw was kind of the opposite. We saw better targeting of the disease and therefore the drugs worked better and there was less off-target effects sort of in other parts of the body. So the drugs were much safer. So big developments. And that's why I'm a big fan of the newer biologics, the IL-23 and the IL-17 blockers. Yeah, that's really exciting. As you know, the search continues to block the cascading inflammatory response that leads to psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. One of the IL-17 inhibitors in development, which you've been involved with in clinical trials, is bimikizumab. How does bimikizumab differ from the other IL-17 inhibitors? Sure, it's a great question because at this point in 2021, we have already, we have 11 biologics on the market for psoriasis. And so bimikizumab will be number 12. And it, it was just actually approved by the European Commission. So it's actually approved for use in psoriasis in European countries. I would say that it's likely to be approved by the FDA sometime in late October. So it's likely to come out soon. As far as how is it different than the other 11 or how is it different than the IL-17 blockers? The other IL-17 blockers we have, the kind of the two main ones are TALTS and Cosentix. They block one type of IL-17 called IL-17A. And bimikizumab, this new one, blocks IL-17A and another type of IL-17 called IL-17F. And so it's the first biologic to block two types of IL-17, IL-17A and F. And why is that important? It's important because F, in addition to A, has been shown to be really important in psoriasis and involved in the inflammation. So that's why I think we see better efficacy with bimikizumab, this new IL-17 blocker, compared to the original IL-17 blockers. Could you speak to the results of the clinical trials exploring the efficacy of bimikizumab? And are there any notable side effects? So um, I mentioned that I think they were better. So they're what I call incrementally better. So it's not like this is a dramatic increase in efficacy compared to the best biologics that we have. And specifically where we see bimikizumab outperforming the other 11 is in our PASI 100 results, and that means completely clear skin. And with bimikizumab, we see this in two-thirds to up to 70% of all patients are 100% clear. And with our best biologics right now, we're kind of between 50 and 60% of the time we see 100% clear skin. So we're now getting two-thirds to upwards to 70% completely clear. So that's an advance. That's better. And in terms of the side effects, we see actually one kind of dominant side effect with bimikizumab, and that's oral thrush, which is a type of yeast infection that occurs in the mouth. And that's because IL-17F, to mention a second ago, is involved in kind of control of yeast in the mouth. So when we block it with bimikizumab, we see patients getting more thrush. Now, is that a big deal? So it, I actually don't think it is because even though it happens in about 10 to 20% of patients on this new drug, it's very easily treated. 
We can get rid of the thrush very easily with antifungal treatments and patients are able to continue on the drug. Wow, that's really exciting stuff. It seems like a lot of dermatologists, just like you, are excited about the results associated with bimikizumab. What is the status of this new treatment? Do you feel this IL-17 inhibitor will be a game changer for the treatment of psoriasis or even psoriatic arthritis? Yeah, I I mentioned some of this already. I do think it's going to be FDA approved soon, probably in about a month. The drugs we have on the market right now are very good, as I mentioned. They're, They're very good already. So what will the uptake be of this new drug that's a little bit better? Will people want to go with the best one and want to go with the new one, or will they want to stay with the ones they're more comfortable with, right, that are also very good? They may not be as good as bimikizumab, but they're still very good drugs. So it, it'll be interesting to see how many people take up this new biologic, but it certainly has impressive findings. Now, that's in psoriasis, where it's not a sort of a big difference compared to the ones we have. But in psoriatic arthritis, the initial studies we have with bimikizumab suggest that it's much better compared to the things we have for psoriatic arthritis. So I actually think that there's reason to switch people if they have psoriatic arthritis to this new drug or to start them on the new bimikizumab because we see about 70% of patients doing well with their psoriatic arthritis. And the drugs we have now are, it's anywhere from, it's, it's around 50% of patients that do well with their treatment. So to me, that's a pretty big jump up in the field of psoriatic arthritis. In a recent webinar, dermatologist Dr. George Martin presented an update about a biologic and clinical trials for pustular psoriasis, spasolumab. There's also another biologic and clinical trials for pustular psoriasis, imsidolumab. Can you speak to the trial results for both in what is considered a difficult-to-treat form of psoriasis? Sure. So just by contrast, what we've been talking about, so the, the biologics for, for psoriasis that are on the market right now are for plaque psoriasis, and that's the type of psoriasis that most people have. Pustular psoriasis, completely different disease. Patients present with pustules. They're often on the palms. They can be all over the body. And this is a much harder treatment, harder situation to deal with. So we haven't had really great drugs for pustular psoriasis. And so the drugs that are in development right now are two biologics that you mentioned, spizolimab and imsidolimab. And both of these biologics block the interleukin-36 receptor, IL-36 receptor. So this is not IL-23, it's not IL-17, which I mentioned, it's not TNF. It's another molecule that's found to be particularly important, again, kind of like an Achilles heel for pustular psoriasis, and that's where these two biologics act. Now, there have been very recent reports in Palmer pustular psoriasis, sort of a subvariant, and both of the drugs did not look so great actually for the subtype of people that have pustular psoriasis on the palms. So that was actually a disappointing result. But I do expect these drugs to eventually make it to market and be available for patients that have more of the body form of pustular psoriasis. And I think that's actually would be a great advance because for many years now, we just haven't had great treatments for this particular type of challenging psoriasis.
That's certainly great to hear. You did touch on this a little bit earlier, but why do you think that spasolumab and imcidolumab are proving to be effective for pustular psoriasis? Yeah, I think it goes back to science. And I'm a past bench scientist that worked on psoriasis in the laboratory. So many of our drugs now are dependent or are creations based upon what we find in the laboratory. And here, just to emphasize, we found that a different molecule, IL-36, was particularly important for this type of psoriasis. And so that's why I think these two drugs work, because they're targeting this particular cytokine involved in this particular type of psoriasis. It'll be so nice to have specific treatments for pustular psoriasis. So shifting to oral treatments, I've heard a lot about ducrabacitinib, an upcoming TIC2 or tyrosine kinase 2 inhibitor. Can you first explain how this inhibitor works and how it's different from other JAK inhibitors? Ducrabacitinib is fairly late in development. We just had phase three results just revealed. So that's exciting. It blocks a molecule, as you mentioned, called TYK2, T-Y-K, which stands for tyrosine kinase. TYK2 is a member of the JAK family. And JAK stands for Janus kinase, J-A-K. And what Janus kinase members do is they're involved in inflammatory pathways. And so when we see inflammation in tissue, there's a series of things that happen within the cell that actually help create inflammation in tissue. And I call it, uh, my analogy is a relay race, that every relay race has a number of runners in it. And these inflammatory pathways we're talking about have different runners in the race and the baton is passed from one molecule to the next one, to the next one, and so forth, until you have inflammation. And in the case of jacks, they are the third runner, if you will, in a five-runner race of inflammation. And so there's this initial signal of a cytokine, and then the cytokine binds to a cytokine receptor on the surface of the cell, and then it passes the message off to the jack family members. And then that molecule then passes off to another molecule and then goes to the nucleus and inflammation occurs. So the third runner in a race, if you will, what ducravacitinib does, it actually inhibits that third runner or TIC2. And TIC2 is important because it's involved in signaling of interleukin-23. And so interleukin-23 is important to block because we know, as we said earlier, it's important in psoriasis. So this drug, it, it blocks the signaling that occurs with IL-23. So it doesn't inhibit the cytokine itself, but inhibits the downstream events, if you will, caused by IL-23. So it's different because it's not a biologic. It's a pill. It's taken orally. It's taken once daily. And it goes inside cells and it blocks this type of inflammation. So pretty exciting. So I think in my view, it actually will likely be the most popular oral treatment that we have for psoriasis based upon our, the results of the clinical studies. Wow. And as a former track runner, I really appreciate your analogy. <laughs> 
what are the clinical trial results for ducravacidinib? And can you provide a quick update on the status of this pending treatment? Sure. Um, so the phase three studies that just came out, there were two big studies called Poetic SO1 and Poetic SO2. Both trials compared ducravacitinib with premolast or otezla, which is a popular oral treatment for psoriasis. They also compared ducravacitinib with placebo. So the studies had three different arms, some people on ducravacitinib, some people on otezla, and some people on placebo. And what they found, uh, what we found actually, is that week 16, the ducravacitinib patients had about a 60% PASI 75 response. That means 60% of people were 75% or more improved. And the comparison with a Premolast or Otesla was in the 35 to 40% range. So about 60% versus about 35%. So it was clearly superior to Otesla in both of these trials. Where does that stand though? compared to biologics. So as I mentioned, 11 biologics, soon to be 12. Ducrevacitinib, the efficacy that we see that I just described is about equal, or it's in the range of what we see with the two older biologics, Enbrel and Humira. So it's not the kind of efficacy we see with all of the other biologics, the newer ones where we, we have much better efficacy with biologics. But again, kind of if it's a patient that doesn't want shots, wants a pill option, it has decent efficacy. Again, uh, similar to what we see with Embrel and Humira, which is respectable and definitely better than what we have with Otesla. As far as FDA approval, I don't expect that until the fourth quarter of 2022. So it's going to be over a year yet before we see that coming to the market. It's so exciting to hear about the new biologics and oral agents available, but biologics and oral agents aren't the only areas where new therapies are currently under development. New topicals are also in clinical trials. Once a topical is reflumolast, which is a topical phosphodiesterase inhibitor, can you explain how this topical works and what have been the results to date? Yeah, so to start off, you're absolutely correct that we need treatments other than pills and shots. In fact, the majority of patients, about two-thirds, will have what I call mild to moderate psoriasis or limited psoriasis, and those patients are really candidates for topical therapy. So right now, we have fairly limited options. We have topical steroids, and then we have topical vitamin D analogs, and we have topical vitamin A analogs. And so that's kind of the extent of what we have topically with topical steroids being the major workhorse. What we see with a reflumolast is a new topical, is a completely different mechanism of action. So completely different than the three I mentioned. It inhibits a molecule called phosphodiesterase 4, PDE4. And we have experience with PDE4 inhibitors. There's actually two drugs on the market that block this molecule. The first one is Otesla which I mentioned a few minutes ago, that's an oral PDE4 inhibitor. So this would be a topical version of Otesla, if you will. And there's also a topical PDE4 inhibitor called Crisoboral or Eucrisa, 
which is on the market for atopic dermatitis or eczema. So here we have a topical version of Oteza. It's completely new for psoriasis. The molecule is more potent than Oteza when we look at it in the laboratory. And so that's how it works. It's As far as the results go, they, we've had very nice phase three results that were just revealed. And I do expect this drug to be on the market someday for limited psoriasis. And how effective is riflumolast for inverse psoriasis? Yeah, inverse psoriasis is psoriasis, as we know, in the groin, under the breasts, and in the armpit, so the crease areas of the body. And those are tough to treat. That's tough to treat with topical steroids because of thinning of skin, tough to treat with the vitamin D and vitamin A analogs because of irritation potential. So it is an area that we see roflomalast being used in, is in inverse psoriasis. So it is a area of need, if you will, for patients. So as far as its effectiveness, we haven't had a specific study in inverse psoriasis, but it does appear to work well when we look at patients who had psoriasis in those areas in the clinical trials. Well, that's great to hear. Another topical we've also heard about on and off is tapinarov. How does this topical differ from others currently available, and how effective is this AHR modulating agent? All right, so here's another non-steroid option coming up for psoriasis, tapinarov. It is completely different of any known drug, aryl hydrocarbon receptor modulating agent. So that's it's a mouthful. This pathway is a, a normal kind of anti-inflammatory pathway that is used in nature to kind of regulate inflammation in different organisms. And so it's a naturally occurring pathway. Tapinarov works in this more of a, a hitting this natural pathway of anti-inflammation. So working in a very different way. It's a novel compound. I'm very excited about it, actually. I participated in the phase three studies. And one of the things I noticed that was different with this compound was that when patients went off it, so in the study, they could be on it for a month, applying it to their lesions, and then go off it for a month. And what, what I noticed is that they had a durable effect. So the psoriasis didn't come raging back right away, like we often see with topical steroids. And so it's a really nice, what I call a, a lasting effect with Tepinarov. And so I think that's going to make it a little more unique compared to the other creams and ointments that we have available. Yeah, that's so important, the durability. Um, you mentioned that you work on some of the clinical trials. So what is the status of Tepinarov? Is it close to being available yet? Yeah, actually, the company has submitted for FDA approval. And when that happens, it usually is around a year afterwards. So that happened earlier this year. And so I'm estimating sometime late spring or summer of 2022. So within a year, I believe we'll have this drug on the market. At least that's kind of the expected timeline given the FDA's normal way of doing things. Seems like we have a lot to look forward to. Are there any other promising treatment options currently in clinical trials that we haven't discussed that may be of interest to our listeners? Well, there's none other that are so far along. So I think the, the focus today has been on the ones that are most far along and most promising. There's always early phase studies, phase one, early phase two studies 
of new compounds. The ones that I've seen are centered around IL-17, which we know is a good thing to target. There's been some attempts at an oral IL-17 blocker instead of a biologic. There's been some attempts on some additional IL-17A and IL-17F blockers that might work even better than bimikizumab, the new one I just mentioned earlier in the podcast. That's what I would say in general that we're looking at. But I think what I described, you know, really is is exciting because I described maybe the best ever biologic for psoriasis and bimikizumab. I described maybe the best oral drug ever for psoriasis in ducravacitinib. And I described two novel non-steroid cream slash ointment options, which provide many more choices for our patients. So for the ones I mentioned, we're very excited. We're very excited as well. One trend that we're seeing more in clinical trials is head-to-head comparisons within drug classes. Can you indicate what the benefit of such trials is and if this is a trend that will continue as new treatments are developed? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's, to me, a pretty simple answer. And most people do not intuitively understand this. But when I explain it to them, they say, oh, okay, I get it. So what I mean by this is we have four, the examples of this are four TNF blockers. So most people would say, oh, four drugs that work in the same way, therefore they have the same efficacy. It couldn't be farther from the truth. So you can compare the efficacy within that class and you see of those four that you can rank them one through four in terms of their effectiveness. And the reason is, is that each is a monoclonal antibody really and the quality of the drug or the quality of the antibody in binding its target is important for its full effect. So even though they bind the same thing, they don't bind the same thing in the same way. So there's some drugs that inhibit TNF really well, and those drugs are more effective in psoriasis, and others that just bind weakly to TNF, and those drugs don't work as well. And the same thing we've seen now with the newer class of psoriasis biologics. There are three IL-17 blockers, soon to be four, and we see that we can rank them in effectiveness. They're not all equally effective. And the good example here is bimikizumab, the new one. It was compared in a head-to-head with another IL-17 blocker, Cosentix, and clearly beat Cosentix, even though it was still in this IL-17 class. So it's just that it's a better antibody, binds to its target tighter, The same thing, by the way, for IL-23 blockers. So they don't all work the same. So there's some that work better than others, simply because, again, the quality of the drug or the quality of the antibody is different. So when we do head-to-heads, we really get the proof of that, the the proof of that, even though they may bind the same way, you can see in a head-to-head that one works better than another in patients with psoriasis. It's certainly an exciting time to be following treatment options. Thank you, Dr. Blavelt, for providing such an enlightening look at future treatments for psoriasis. The depth of treatment options for psoriasis continues to grow. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners today? Sure. So one of the biggest challenges that we all have 
is access to biologics, right? And that's due to their high cost. So they're all expensive to get. And so that's one of my biggest drawbacks, if you will, in regards to the revolution that I just described. So we have a revolution going on and incredible advances in psoriasis, very exciting. But on the other hand, not everybody can get them, right? Not everybody can get them because they don't have the best insurance or they have no insurance. And so what I say about this is talk to your dermatologist, push them, work with your insurance companies. Don't accept the first answer. Don't accept the first answer from your dermatologist. Say, if you want a particular drug, keep asking for it, keep pushing for it. In my experience, that can work. It can work if you probe the insurance company, if you challenge what they're saying, if you make a good argument in your case that you need this particular drug and not the one that they're pushing off on you. We call this step therapy, which means insurance companies will require step one before you can go to step two and step three and so forth. And as a doctor, I just really hate step therapy. I hate it because it takes the decision out of my hands and it places the decision on the drug in the insurance company's hands and it really shouldn't be in their hands. It should be the hands of the doctor along with discussion with the patient of what's the best treatment. So fight your insurance company, get the drug you want, and don't be shy about biologics, especially now with these newer ones. They can literally change your life as, as I've seen in hundreds of my patients. So thank you for having me. That's a great message to share with our listeners. Thank you, Dr. Baba. And as a person that, that lives with psoriasis, I just want to say thank you for advocating for patients' rights and giving us all this information. I, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This has been such an exciting update about treatment options. It's amazing to hear how effective targeted treatments are becoming. For our listeners, if you'd like to continue to learn more about some of the treatments Dr. Blaubelt mentioned, view our research update, the latest news about psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis webinar at psoriasis.org forward slash watch hyphen and hyphen listen. And finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of this program through unrestricted educational grants, Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, and Novartis. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.